pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray that this morning, that God, that you would help us to see exactly what you want to say. God, that it would not be my words written down or even spoken, Father, but God, that it would be you speaking through me. God, I pray for our hearts. God, every single person in here, God, that needs to know you. God, every single person in here that needs to be reminded of your grace. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are starting a new series called Alter Ego. And let me say this, for all of you um, spellers, grammatical people, that word is not misspelled, okay? Just want to let you know that. We're talking about alter, um, an altar that you lay something down at, something that you lay a sacrifice down at. And so the reason that we've titled it Alter Ego is because an altar is where you make a sacrifice, you lay something down. Now your ego is what you believe or think about yourself. And so what we want to do through the next four weeks is basically take our ego and lay it down at the altar of God. Um, so just a quick overview of what we're going to be discussing for the next four weeks. Um, the first one that we're going to discuss this morning is our feelings of inadequacy. How many of you guys ever just feel like you don't measure up? Anybody? Like you just, you're not good enough to maybe complete a certain task, or maybe you don't feel like you measure up to be a mother or a father, or maybe you don't feel like you measure up spiritually. Um, week two, um, we're going to be talking about our need for control. So if you're sitting next to a control freak, just nudge them a little bit, say, be here for that one. Um, week three, our right to be offended, and that'll be interesting. Um, week four, and our longing for approval. So that's what we're going to be discussing through um, this next series. But this morning, we're going to be talking about our feelings of inadequacy. So, I don't know about you, but it's amazing to me how quickly, myself and even for many of you in here, how quickly we can feel inadequate. Um, Let me give you a few examples. Maybe it's comparing to someone who is financially successful and you're not. And that makes you feel inadequate. Or maybe you walk into a friend's house and their house just smells good. Like, you know, they have like five or six scentsies like everywhere. It smells like sugar cookies. And you just walked into your house and it smells like laundry. And so maybe you feel inadequate. Man, I just never can keep my house clean. It's just never in order. And every time I go over to so-and-so's house, they just got it together. Maybe you're a mother and you walk over to a friend's house and her house is just always perfect. It seems like her kids are just always on their best behavior. While you're at your house, your carpet has spit up stained into it. Your cat just did his business on the table. And you're like, what is going on? It makes you feel inadequate. Or how many of you, I've noticed this one a lot. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while or maybe not for a while. And you get around this group of friends that are Christians, and you feel like spiritually inadequate. Like, let me give you a for instance. Maybe you're talking to a friend, and they've known Jesus for a long time. And like, all of a sudden, you just bring up this problem that maybe you're facing. Saying, man, I'm just, I'm really dealing with this in my marriage, or I'm just really dealing with this in my relationship with Jesus. And they're like, well, you know what? That reminds me of Malachi 2.13. And they quote it, and then you feel like an idiot because you barely know any scripture, And then they pray this prayer, and it sounds like even God's impressed by their prayer. You know what I'm talking about? It makes you feel inadequate. So maybe you feel spiritually inadequate. 
Maybe as a mother you feel inadequate because maybe there's times in your life where your house is not in order. And so you feel inadequate when you go over to somebody else's house and you're like, oh man, they just got it all together. If you feel this way, I just want to let you know that I completely understand. And I'm quite sure that God understands as well. Let me give you an example. I think many times as Christians, we feel that we have to perform up to some standard because we feel inadequate. Um, Quick example, when I got married, my wife and I dated for six years. And I'll be honest with you, it was like heavenly bliss. Dating, okay? And I'll be... I, I thought I was like the most romantic person in the world. And I thought my wife knew that as well. Like, oh, he's just so romantic. And um, so I was feeling good about myself. And then I get married. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> what happened? I felt extremely inadequate. I dated for six years, got married. I was completely confused as to what was going on. I came to realize that I knew nothing about what I was doing financially, like nothing at all. Um, two months into us being married, my wife gets pregnant, which just was something that we had discussed. We wanted kids early, and so we discussed that we wanted to do that. But then all of a sudden, I remember we're in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at her, at her sister's house, and she takes this pregnancy test, and it says positive. And it's like, that. you ever had those oh no moments? Like, oh crap. Like, this is really going to happen. So I remember just feeling extremely inadequate because I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing financially. Um, I feel like everything that I've done, I haven't done it that well, and I'm about to bring a human being into the world. It's that feeling of inadequacy. Um, I remember when we first got married, I, I was literally, I'd just been a pastor for about two months, and I felt extremely inadequate. Because I didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel like I knew enough scripture. I didn't feel like I knew enough information. There was people that even left the church because I spoke too harshly. I felt inadequate. So my feelings of inadequacy were more aware to me than anything. They were overwhelming. And I think that there's a lot of us in here that can relate to that. There's some place in your life right now where you just don't feel like you measure up where you feel inadequate. And so what I want to do this morning is answer that question. Why is it that we feel inadequate? Why do we feel inadequate? Why do we feel that there's just certain things in our life like, man, why can't I ever get over this hump to accomplish that? Number one, unfair criticism. Unfair criticism. Somewhere along the way in your life, someone told you that you would never amount to anything. Along the way, someone said, man, I wish I never had you. Or your disappointment, you can't do anything right. Or maybe they say, I wish you were more like so-and-so. Or hey, maybe this just isn't your thing. Internally, these messages have been burned onto the hard drive of our memory. And any time we go try to do something and accomplish something, all we can think about are those inner things. That, hey, you're never going to amount to anything. Hey, you're never going to uh, measure up. And those are the things that play over and over and over in our mind. Anytime we try to do something significant, anytime we try to make a change, anytime we try to do something different, those things begin to play over and over in our mind. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Number two, unrealistic compliments. There's just unrealistic compliments. You know, people tell you that you're incredible. Or, hey, man, you are just the best at this. Or you're so good at this. And deep down inside, you're like, no, I'm not. Deep down inside, you are wrestling with the thought of how will I ever measure up to this unrealistic compliment? How am I ever going to live up to what people are actually saying about me? Let me give you, for example, I have this theory that I think is pretty true. We've done a really disservice to the younger generation telling them that they're good at everything. Do you remember back in the day that you actually had to win something to receive a trophy? You remember that? Now all you have to do is show up. (laughs) Oh, you're on the team. Congratulations. Like back in the day, you actually had to be good at something to win, right? Now today in T-ball and stuff like that, it's like, hey, nobody, nobody lost, guys. I'm over there on the sidelines telling my son, like, son, you lost. You lost. Okay, I just want you to know. Because really, that's the reality of life. In life, not every, everything is going to pan out and work out, right? We used to have to graduate 12 grades. Now we graduate kindergarten. That is pathetic. That's terrible. Hey, you finished one year. By the way, you have 12 left. So here's what happens. We tell them they're amazing, they're the best, and internally they don't feel that good. People think I'm up here, but you know you're really kind of down here. Therefore, we have an entire generation that is filled with the fear of failure. I cannot tell you, working with young people all the time, this is the common phrase that I hear over and over. I don't want to even try because if I do, I fear that I'm going to fail. And it's that inadequacy because people have given them unrealistic compliments. Hey, you're the best. Hey, you're good at this. Hey, you win everything. And now they feel like they have to measure up. They have to try to live up to this certain standard, which inside they know that they really can't. Number three, unwise comparisons. The first one was unfair criticism. Number two, unrealistic compliments. And number three, unwise comparisons. Maybe you look around at other people and say, well, I'm not as attractive as so-and-so. Or I'm not as financially stable or secure as them. You know this, social media is probably one of the greatest causes of feeling inadequate. And, and let, me, let me give you, a for, for example, it may be funny, but it is true. So let's say you get on Instagram or, or Facebook um, and you upload your snapshot of your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, okay? So you're like, hey, just sitting down, eating lunch, PB&J. And you scroll down and you see like your best friend with lobster, a wedding ring next to it, and they're chilling by a beach in Hawaii. And you're like, my life sucks. I'm eating peanut butter and jelly. What is going on? You feel inadequate. Or, Or it's something like this. We start comparing others' highlight reels to our behind the scenes. See, with social media, we see everybody's highlights, the highlight of their life. That one time that they maybe had that dinner, 
or that one time they went to that place when inside you know what you really deal with. So we begin to compare other people's highlight reels with our behind the scenes. Or maybe we see pictures where their kids look perfect and all done right, and we know that we just yelled at our kids, their socks don't match, and we're out in public. Maybe they look beautiful and put together, and you hate things about your appearance. You feel inadequate. So we feel extremely inadequate, and our ego begins to tell us what we're not. And this morning, what I want to focus on is who God wants to tell us we are. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse 11. I want you to remember, this is the main theme of what I want to get across this morning. That it is so easy to focus on what others say you are. But it's more important to understand and to focus on who God says we are. So in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. She's been around a long time. <clears throat> that belonged to Joash the Abezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So here's, here's what you have to know about threshing wheat, okay? When they would take the wheat and they would thresh it, they would go and they would do it up really high somewhere where it was windy, okay? So when the wheat would be threshed, the pierce of the wheat would fall down and the chaff would be blown away by the wind. So what you have to notice in this text is Gideon is in a wine press hiding. Hiding. So Gideon's in a wine press hiding because he was afraid of the enemy, the Midianites. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, notice this, mighty warrior. Now remember, Gideon is afraid, scared, and really being a coward. Because of the fact that God's already told him that he's going to accomplish and he's going to conquer the Midianites. But he's, he's freaked out, he's scared, he doesn't want to live up to that. And so the Lord calls him mighty warrior. So I want you to notice that, that the Lord calls him something even in the midst of his hiding and fear. The Lord saw something that he did not see in himself. He simply saw something that Gideon did not see in himself. And notice what he says in verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, and I think all of us can relate to this next text. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Anybody ever relate to that? Like, God, if you're with me, then why in the world is there like this tornado of destruction going on in my life? He, he asks another question. Where are all his wonders that our fathers have told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, underline this, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So in verse 15, we're about to read it, but I want you to notice something. We're going to see that God calls Gideon to go and do something. He says, listen, this is my plan for you. This is the calling that I have. 
And immediately, the enemy wants to tell you what you're not. See, God had already promised him something. He says, listen, I'm going to allow you to defeat the Midianites. And, and by the way, not only are you going to defeat them, I'm going to be with you. So you have to remember that when God most likely calls us to something, the enemy is going to be quick to remind us of who we're not. In verse 15, But the Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in the Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I think many of us say this as well, right? I'm not talented enough. Or... I'm not that bright or smart enough. I'm not as godly or I don't look like him or I don't look like her. And all the feelings of inadequacy try to tell you what you can't do when God has already called you to do it. Verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So the key to this entire message is we're going to lay down our ego on the altar of God because we are not who we think we are, but we are who God says we are. So three things that you need to know about you. Three things you need to know about you. The first one is God's view of you is different than you think. Some of you need to let that seep down in your soul. God's view of you is different than you think. It's so much different than you think. And this passage proves it. Remember, Gideon is hiding and full of fear. And what does God call him? Mighty warrior. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. Let me give you an example. It was my second year of being in uh, Master's Commission, which was kind of like a Bible college in Lafayette, Louisiana. And it was Thanksgiving. And, uh, my wife, at the time, we were dating, and she came to Lafayette and picked me up, and we're on our way back to Jennings, and her car starts overheating. And so we're right around Crowley, and I say, hey, let's pull over right here, and it's about 1230 at night, and so we stop. Of all places, the only place open at 1230 at night is like Waffle House, better known as Awful House. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this side note about Waffle House. Like, if you want to be thoroughly disgusted, just walk in the bathroom. It, it's terrible. I mean, it looks like a trucker's dream. Um, so, I, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> so, where, how will I ever recover? Um, <laughs> so, we pull into Waffle House. So, we pull into Waffle House. And we sit down, and this waitress comes up to us. And I don't know about you, but does anybody ever have this thing called, like, fourth meal? Like, if you stay up past, like, 1130, your stomach is, like, rumbling. Well, my wife and I, every night we stay up late. Like, sometimes we'll stay up late, and it's like, all right, fourth meal. I'm hungry. What do we have? So we're at Waffle House, and it's basically, like, fourth meal for us, okay? And so sitting there, we order. And as soon as this waitress comes up to my table, it's literally, like, I don't have this often, but it's like the conviction of the Holy Spirit just came over to me and said, hey, give this woman $20 and tell her about me. And I'm like, no. No way. One, I felt extremely inadequate because of the fact that I was like, that's just really stupid. Like, how do you say that? Hey, um, excuse me, Miss Wait- Waitress, 
God told me. <laughs> uh, you know, so the entire time I'm wrestling with it. My wife is sitting there, and I don't tell her anything about it, and I just feel it's like getting stronger and stronger, just that conviction. And I'm like, God, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm going to look retarded. I'm going to look stupid. And so the whole time I finish the meal, I'm trying to have conversation, and it's just not working out. So finally I'm just like, all right, I got to get out of here. Let's go check the car, see if it's kind of done, see if we can get it back to Jennings. So I get up, and I'll literally walk out the door. And just the conviction of God is so strong on me. And so finally, by this time, I feel so compelled. All right, I turn back around to uh, tap the lady on the shoulder and say, hey, look, this is going to sound really dumb. Uh, And those are my exact words. This is going to sound really dumb. Um, But I don't know why. I just felt like while we're sitting here, God spoke to me. He wanted me to give you this. And before I could say anything, she just starts breaking down crying. And here's the one thing that I, and I was able to just, she shares all these things, financial difficulties that she's going through, and all these different, she's asking all these questions about Jesus. And the one thing that I noticed, in my moment of feeling inadequate, the very fact that I obeyed, God came through. In the very moment when I felt like I was not able to do something, through my obedience, God was able to work through my weakness or my inadequacy. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Can I tell you this? Long ago, God had a plan for you. Before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan just for you. So what I get out of Ephesians 2.10 is that God created you with everything in you to do everything he has called you to do. God's view of you is different than you think. Others don't even see you as God sees you. His plan was first. Let me me give you a few examples. In the Old Testament, when everyone saw Rahab, they saw a prostitute. God saw a woman's heart who would be eventually drawn to him, and through her lineage would come Jesus. When people saw David, they saw a little shepherd, which ultimately God enabled him to kill a giant. When people saw David, they saw an adulterer because of his sin, which we all sin and fall short. And after that, God calls him a man after his own heart. You are not who others say you are. God sees more in you than you think. God's view of you is different than you think. God's view of you is different than you think. Number two, God has given you more than you think. God has given you more than you think. I love what God says to Gideon. Go take a class and get ready for this calling. Is that what he said? No. Uh, Go enroll in college so you can be prepared. No. No. Go read a book. No, he says, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have because I, Jesus, am your strength. Go in the strength you have. Verse 14 says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? 
For some of you, all you hear is that negative message going on inside of you. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not um, knowledgeable enough. I want you to know that God has given you more than you think. Let me give you an example. I'm living proof that God put more in me than I could ever imagine. And the best way that I can explain it, when I was a kid, I was extremely shy. Attached to my mom at the hip. My mom used to get so frustrated at me because when people would tell me hi, I would ignore them and turn my head. Am I lying? I was so shy, like petrified. When I was around my family, I was around my parents, I was great. And when I got around people, it was like, My first day of kindergarten was a nightmare for my mom and for my teachers. I went kicking and screaming because I was terrified of being around people. If you work in OSC Kids and you think you've seen it all, you haven't because you didn't have me. My mom would drop me off when we used to go when they had Sunday school, drop me off at Sunday school, and I would throw the biggest fit in the world. And by the time I just got used to my teacher in that Sunday school class, it was like time to move classes. And I'd throw another fit because I hated being around people. And here's the crazy thing. Today I stand up here playing the gospel in front of people. God has put much more in you than you think. Second Peter 1.3 says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It is in our knowledge of him that he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. It's in our knowledge of him. See, when we know Jesus, when we have a relationship with Jesus, when he's the center of our life, we begin to understand who God says we are. God isn't holding anything back from you. So I think some of you have to know this. Don't dare believe what others say you are. God's view of you is different than you think. God's view of you is different than you think. Maybe you walk into a situation or even in marriage sometimes and you say, well, I just don't have the words to say. I just don't have the words to say. But maybe the truth is you're a good listener. There's a lot of people's lives that have been changed by simply people just sitting down and listening. Maybe you think, well, I just don't work well in front of people or getting on a stage and proclaiming the gospel. Like, I'd rather be behind the scenes serving. Didn't Jesus say the ones that serve will be the greatest in the kingdom of God? So some of you may be the greatest in the kingdom of God and you don't even know it. And this is legitimate. Maybe you get down because maybe you don't make six figures. But you're home six nights a week with your kids. And that's going to make a bigger difference more than what you earn, right? So here's what I want you to understand this morning. Don't insult God by complaining with what you don't have. 
God has given you everything you need. Because he gave you his son. God has given you everything you need. Number three, it's less about you than you think. It's less about you than you think. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Verse 16. When God calls you to do something, it's less about your power and more about his presence. It's more about God's strength than yours. It's less about you than you think. That is why as a believer, we take our ego and lay it down at the altar of God. Because we're not who others say we are. Can I I be honest with you? I feel very inadequate to be a pastor. And the truth is, I am. You know why? Because I know my behind the scenes. (laughs) You guys get to see the highlight reels. You want to know some behind the scenes? Let's invite my wife up here right now. But the good news, it's less about me than I think. Because when I step into the strength and the power and the grace and peace of Jesus, I'm able because he is more than adequate to accomplish his work through me. His power is made perfect through my weakness. Some of you have to understand this. Sometimes we see weakness as, oh man, I'm just down. I'm feeling like this. I don't know what to do. And that is the greatest opportunity for God's strength to come alive in that. When we just recognize that. Some of us are so wrapped up and so bound into this one fact that we literally live our lives to please others. I see it all the time, especially with teenagers and students, that they're living more for the praise of men and it's getting them nowhere. You ever see people that are just working really, really hard and there's never really any reward? It's just really exhausting because they're trying to live up to this certain standard that people have placed in front of them, a standard that they can never accomplish or never be. That just becomes tiring and extremely exhausting. The truth is we may all have reasons to feel inadequate or feel like we don't measure up or we feel unworthy. But the truth is without Jesus we're all inadequate. And the only way that we come out of that is by realizing God you are absolutely everything. God, you are made perfect in my weakness. Philippians 4.13 says this, For I can do everything through Christ. And what does the other part say? What? Who gives me strength. I want you to realize, because we take this and we take this scripture and we like to put it on coffee mugs and we put it on posters And we think it's about us being able to accomplish the work. 
But this scripture is completely dead without Christ who gives strength. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Christ is the one that gives us the strength. It is all the more reason that we need Jesus. It is all the more reason that we need Jesus. So I want you to remember this. When we feel inadequate, when we come to a place where we say, God, I just don't feel like I measure up. When we see situations and scenarios and we start making that comparison, when we come to a place and maybe you see somebody who makes more money than you do, or you come to a place and, and, and you're on Instagram or you're on Facebook and you're seeing other people's highlight reels and those feelings of inadequacy is saying, man, my life is just not as good as so-and-so or I just don't measure up. Or maybe when you come to a place as a, as a parent and you're trying to raise your kids and they're just still doing certain things or you're at a place in your marriage where you know that maybe it needs to be somewhere but it's not and you feel inadequate and you feel like you're at a place where you just don't measure up. God says go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have and trust in me. The thing that I love about Ephesians 1, it says this, before the foundations of the earth, he predestined us. He had a plan for us. And this is what you have to know. If God has a plan for you, and you begin to recognize that, and you walk in that plan, and you walk in that calling, it's failure proof. You know why? Because it's not your plan, it's his plan. It's failure proof. And I believe that many of us feel extremely inadequate because we're trying to do it in our own strength without realizing that Christ is the only strength that we have. And the reason that we feel like we can never measure up and we're not good enough is because of the fact that we're not. And it's until that realization that before the foundations of the earth that God had a plan for you and I, and when we begin to walk in that calling, and we begin to walk in that plan that God has paved before us, we cannot mess up. Because it's his plan, his design. He's a perfect designer, a perfect author. And here's what you cannot let happen. See, we, we like to allow our pastor to say, well, God, just like Gideon said, well, God, why are we getting attacked? Why are we being destroyed? Where are you? Or we look at all the past failures and all the things that have happened to us. Let's just get real honest for a moment. Maybe some of you in here, you've been molested, sexually abused. Maybe for some of you in here, you've, you've gone through a divorce. 
Maybe for some teenagers in here, you've had parents that, you know, maybe they've abused you or, or they've left you or they've abandoned you. Can I tell you something? That does not define who you are. You are not who others say you are. You are who God says you are. His plan was first. No matter what's happened for, to you or what's been done to you, God still has a plan for you. And just because things happen, it does not mean that it destroys the plan. Our inadequacies, our failures, are things that even that other people have done to us. It does not break the design that God has paved beforehand. I preached this a long time ago, but especially out of Ephesians 1, where it, when it says, before the foundations of the earth. And the one thing that I love about that text, and for any of my students, they know I've literally talked about that a bajillion times. The one thing that I love about that text is literally before God even created the earth, before there were stars, moon, sky, oceans, animals, anything, before anything was created, before anything was done, he says, I have a plan paved just for you. And you can be who I've called you to be because it's my plan. So as we bring this to a close, can we all reflect on this one thought? No matter what's been done, no matter what's happened, no matter the past, no matter experiences have, that have gone on, we are not who others say we are. We are who God says we are. We are not who others say we are. We are who God says we are.